My name is Catherine Friend and welcome to the STEM Equity Network podcast series. Thank you for joining us. This is a series where we talk about the real issues behind equity in STEM, in particular equity in STEM leadership. And today we're really privileged to have a fabulous STEM leader, Nicole Stark, joining us today. She has spent 23 years at Suncorp, predominantly in IT. She also led strategic programs as the project manager and eventually became the executive manager in digital technology, leading over a thousand people globally. She's had numerous leadership awards in Suncorp's IT division. Following her fabulous career at Suncorp, she decided to leave and set up her own leadership training and coaching program. Last year, this culminated in a really successful FemTEP conference where she had 150 men and women join for a couple of days to discuss women in technology. That included a list of 38 different speakers, 10 masterclasses, three fireside chats, which sounds fabulous, and 11 mm-hmm. university teams. So, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us, and it's a pleasure to have, to have you here. I'm very excited. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you. So to start off with, can you take us through your career and tell us some of the fabulous highlights that I haven't discussed here? In sure, my no problems. So when I was about 23, I started at Suncorp in a call centre. So that's my origin story is an insurance call centre where I loved taking care of people. I found my comfort zone of listening to people and, and taking care of them, but it wasn't enough for me. So I ended up leaving the the call centre and spent the next 20 years moving around business, but predominantly IT and more in transformational projects as well. So looking at digital technology transformations or mergers and acquisitions, but really looking at how people interact with each other and, and looking at how technology supports the end customer. So I pretty much did that for 23 years, every two years, shifting roles essentially. So I get to a point where I think, I've gone as far as I possibly can. It's now time to move on and learn something new. So I guess at my core, I was very much about growth and development and and learning new things. And and I was very fortunate that Suncorp allowed me that opportunity to move across. Did you get training during that stage as well? Like, uh, you know, it was a lot of... A lot of on-the-job training. So generally, I would move knowing that I had really great coordination or leadership skills and I would learn whatever I needed to learn on the job. So I learned a lot about insurance, banking, finance, risk, technology. So a lot of those different areas I was very fortunate to learn. And then ended up out of the 23 years, I probably spent 17 in technology. But I like the fact I moved across the business and technology because it was really important for me to understand both sides. I, I'm, and similar to this conversation around equality and equity, knowing how each other works is really important to understand all sides of the puzzle. And so as you moved up in different mm-hmm. roles, was there ever any, anybody helping you move up through those ranks? Did you have any mentors that were helping you over that 23-year period? Of- yeah. In preparation for this conversation, I, I did think about that and I... Probably for the first seven or eight years, no, there wasn't any specific mentoring. And actually, to be honest, in my early days, I didn't really understand the world of mentoring or coaching or sponsorship. It didn't actually make sense. I would talk to certain people or have my, you know, my trusted team of people that I would go to, but I didn't see them as mentors. I just 
saw them as people to bounce ideas off, which now I understand there was a, a mentor relationship there, but it wasn't a, a structured mentoring or it wasn't something that I would, I would go thinking, you know, this person will help me here. It was more talking. So in the early years, no, it was just having conversations. But I did know that I wanted to move up the ranks. I knew that I wanted to progress my career. I wanted to support teams. I wanted to lead teams. I wanted to help customers. So I knew that that's what I wanted, but I didn't actually have the opportunity to have that mentorship in a formalised state. It was more informal mentoring. That was interesting that you always knew that this is the direction that you wanted to go in though. Yeah, part of that came from my dad. So if I think about why he has an awesome work ethic, he was always someone that, just so you know, so I'm white and redhead, my dad's black and he's from Sri Lanka. So he's dealt with diversity and inclusion. He's dealt with the challenges of moving through and to become a CIO and the work ethic and the persistence and the adaptability that you need. So I saw that and I saw the effort that he put in and the, um, the, the good things that came out of it. So it was ingrained in me from a very young age. And I think that's why I didn't, I didn't look for any mentoring as such. I just knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I just did it. So then that, that's why I moved every couple of years. I wanted to build my toolkit I was thinking about whether I had any had experienced any unconscious bias or, or anything like that in my early years, and I don't think I did. I don't think I did because my, my mindset was about I just want to get to that next stage or I just want to learn this. So in the early days, I didn't know about it. I didn't understand it um, or didn't, yeah, I didn't think it was actually prevalent. But interestingly enough, as I've progressed and more recently in the probably in the last five years I've realized that I probably did experience it but I wasn't aware of it but also the fact that my mindset was I just want to learn and grow I'm not going to let any of those things stop me I think I was quite fortunate in that way wow and look it sounds to me like some court were pretty supportive in letting you take that career do they have a inclusion a diversity program in Suncorp? Well, did they have it 23 years ago or has it developed no. in, that, in the time frame that you've been there and perhaps you were, enough, you, know, you were working hard, you're an up-and-coming person in the, in the ranks and they decided that, you know, just to support you irrespective of your gender? Yeah, Suncorp had a really great culture actually. The culture was it's best to support. If you want to move around, it's actually really important to support your team members so that they can learn and thrive in that environment rather than go somewhere else. So it was quite a good environment in the early days around supporting team members, irrespective of diversity, but it became the diversity and inclusion probably really started to become more in the forefront probably about five years ago, although it, it led up to that. So over the last 10 years, you could see it starting to increase and whether that was as a result of the understanding of why diversity is really important the number of women that didn't come back from after maternity leave, um, the number of different cultures and people that we were working with. It was really important to understand that. And then the idea of customer-led design, so actually leading from a customer perspective, understanding that your customers actually are a mix of genders, not just one or the other. So I think all of those things happening um, help shift that focus to, to diversity and inclusion. Of course. Sounds like Suncorp is a really great place to be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so can I just then move into children? You know, I mean, yes. 
This is a big issue for women in careers. You know, it's a great big road bump. Ten years out of your life, you know, you've got to take care of kids. Certainly that happened to me. So tell me, what was your experience having children and how did Suncorp support you and did it affect your career or, yeah, where did you go from there? Yeah, um, oh, so my, my babies are now, what are they, 13, 15 and 18. Um, so really glad that I actually get to spend time with them now in their, in their later teen years I'm, I, because working from home now as a coach, I get to spend as much time as I possibly can with them, which I love. In the early years, so hopefully it's okay if I just run through the, the enormous change that occurred. So when, when, when I had my first child, it was, you know, I can do this, I can be pregnant, I can be part, I can be a leader, I can, I can freaking do everything, okay? So just back off everyone, I'm fine, don't worry about me. So it was a real ego. So I was an ego-driven pregnant lady, I could do anything, I was invincible. Then coming back to work after nine months, I had a lot of senior males tell me that I shouldn't be back at work. So I remember so many times people saying to me, why are you back at work? This is ridiculous. You should be at home with your child. I can't believe you. So there was a lot of guilt in those early, early weeks back at work, to be honest. And then between my first and my second child, so there was a bit of a three-year gap, I thought I was suffering with postnatal depression with my first one. But when my second one came along, I went and saw a counsellor and found that it was actually, I was deep in the darkest depths of depression and I didn't realise that I'd been living with it for three or four years since the birth of my daughter. And when, when we unpacked that, what came out of it was, there's many layers to this. So the first one was the fact that my husband and I had taken on the opposing traditional roles. So I was the, you know, the traditional dating in quotes and he was the traditional mum. He was at home getting to see all these firsts with, you know, with my eldest. I was at work. I was you know, coming back to work after nine months. I just got stuck into 90-hour weeks on projects. And I was certainly resenting, not realising it, but I was resenting him and the, and the, the situation. So that was the first thing. Yes. I, I remember... I um, sorry. I, can I just say that I've been there, the resent, like, you know, resenting your husband. And it's not fair on either party um, it's not. but it's like this yeah this this thing where you feel that you should be home taking care of the kids and yet you want to be taking care of your career at the same time and this yeah loyalties yeah well that's it because I saw the work ethic my dad um, you know embedded into my system I love that side I actually really enjoyed it but I also saw wanted to be like my mum who was at home with her kids and every time I've got great memories of coming home and mum's there and we'd have a chat. My kids didn't have that. And there was such guilt, like a lot of guilt around that's not fair. They should have me there. I should be there. But I also need to earn the money because I'm actually earning double the amount of my husband. So we'd made that decision together. We'd made a decision that Justin would stay at home and I would be at work. So we'd made it, but I hadn't resolved it um, in terms of what it actually meant and the fact that it was okay to be like that. And then when you're confronted with people telling you that you shouldn't be at work it's like oh what have what have I done oh, but anyway so hard. and that, you know let me just tell you that they wouldn't dare say that nowadays no oh my god no 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 definitely not <laughs> that's true actually that is very true and um and we can go into that later but I've certainly seen as a leader the challenges for mums and dads now as opposed to 18 years ago where it was you know people telling you that you shouldn't be at home so 
so I had my, my ego telling me that I should be doing something. I started to um, struggle with depression. My, well, my husband and I went to counselling because we thought we just need to understand what's going on. And that's where it came out. We were both not envious, but we were, you know, we, we hadn't really accepted the, the roles that we'd taken role on, reversal. even though we said, well, yeah, the role reversal. So that was a bit strange. And also having friends, and family saying to us, your, your relationship and your model isn't, it's not right. You know, it's, it doesn't uh, right. I know. So that was, I totally get that. But can I ask now, just before you move on, how was the effect on your husband? Oh, it was emasculating. So it was difficult for him. It wasn't just me. And that's probably a really important thing to call out. The, the depression I was struggling with and the, the, the guilt that I had he, on the other hand, wanted to, he overcompensated because he wasn't earning the money. He was overcompensating by making sure everything was right and perfect and, and nothing would go, like it was just, it was over, like over the top where I, we would have to say, you know, slow down. I'm, I can't be in a house where you're trying to clean, you know, I drop something on the table and you clean it straight away. It, we can't live like that. But that was him overcompensating because he felt guilty that, he wasn't bringing in enough money at that point. Uh, yep. We did both. Um, and he, his compassionate side is so compassionate, but he doesn't know how to articulate that. And that's something that I, you know, I do, but he doesn't. And I started to feel unfair that, you know, that I was putting the pressure on him as well because I was expecting him to do all these motherly things that, that I would have done. So we were both putting unfair pressure on ourselves and each other. It was... It was hor- and going to counselling was the best thing we could have done because it really helped highlight that and helped us understand. Well, this is a decision we made. We either can get on board or we're just going, our marriage is just going to dissolve. So it was consciously taking action, not just letting things go. So one of the things that I can certainly say is, if you can see these things happen, it's really important to take action and and be con- and consciously do it with intent. It sounds like he, well, is the ideal hus- stay-at-home husband, isn't it? <laughs> it's fabulous. But I, totally, I, I can um, really relate to, to everything you're saying, actually, and the emasculation of men is a really big dif- deal. That and the fact that all of their friends uh, don't really understand and they, they hassle, like, you know, good-natured males hassling of each other, you know, oh, what, you sit at home and you're a house husband. That's got to play on their, their minds. So, you know, I can understand as a couple, you're both going through this role reversal and having to kind of get your heads around things. After your counselling, how did you guys move forward from there? Well, actually, so we fell pregnant accidentally with the third one. <laughs> not um, baby. That's the way to So, and whilst we were trying to reconcile all of this new information, it was, oh, crap we're just about to have another baby and (laughs) the worst it was probably the worst and the best time of our relationship Mm. so we ended up separating whilst whilst I was pregnant for six months and again having the the pressures of the external you know how can you leave your wife while she's pregnant how can you both do this but it was a decision we both made because we both needed to have that separation and understand what we both wanted And, and we decided to come back together so it was the, the crappiest time, but at the end of it, we've never been stronger because we both 
took the time to understand what we need as individuals, but also what we needed as partners, but also as a family. And I look back, I reflect on the bravery of doing that because, you know, anything could have happened, but for us, we were quite fortunate that, yeah, we knew what we wanted, but we needed to have that time apart. So once we'd had my third one, she, it, I don't know, it all, it all started to click together. And when I say click together, it was being comfortable with the roles that we'd accepted and thriving in that and supporting each other. So that's the one thing we've always done is being very supportive of you know, the good and the bad and the ugly of each other. So as a couple, yeah, I think we're very, very strong. Um, but it was just a couple of years of you know, uncertainty and, and sadness, but that's okay. Yeah, wow. Sounds to me yeah. like that's a really tough time in your life. So whilst this was happening, what was going on with your career? So I, I, I needed to compartmentalise. So for me to move forward, I needed to compartmentalise. And at home, I was at home. At work, I was a leader. So um, at those particular times, I was the 2IC or the second in charge to the, the, the executive general manager. So it was making sure that operational things were working. And it was, it was good. It was my, my happy space of where I felt comfortable. And I had a very supportive male leader. There's, there's been two or three leaders in my career that have been supportive. And I basically went into him four or five months pregnant going, just separated with my husband. I'm having a really crappy time. I'm emotional. I've got to help you lead this team. And he was just amazing. So other people saw him as, you know, quite a, a hard leader, whereas his compassionate side just came through and he was, I will support you with whatever you need. But it was... I needed to be open. So when I when things like this happen, and I, you know, this is something that I want to call out at the end of this, transparency is key. Transparency in your own situation, irrespective of how vulnerable you might be, is so vital because not everyone has the perfect situation or not everyone, you know, what the, that work persona versus the home persona can be quite different. So just because you look like you're on top of your game at work doesn't mean all things are rosy at home. So by me being transparent to him and showing my vulnerability, he was able to support me and show that it's okay. We're actually here as a team. And I know not every single leader is like that. I, I, I appreciate that, but I needed to put myself out there and I'm glad I did because I needed to show that, you know, I was struggling and, yeah, and it, was, it was good. It worked out well. And as a result, he stepped up as a leader as well, by the sounds of it. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So, so that, that was good. Um, so hang on, your home life was falling apart, but your work life was going really well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, actually, if I think about it, that, that generally has been my pattern over the years because I think what I've done, and I'm just thinking this through as we're going on, I think what I've done over the years is if something's not working one place, I'll put that energy into the, the opposing area. So if things aren't always good at home, then I'll be at work and vice versa, but... It's always managed to work its way through. Sounds yeah. like you might be a Libra and you need some balance in your life as well. You need to at least <laughs> one area that's working well while the other one's falling apart. Well, this is what, so I, I have to say leaving Suncorp, even though it was the, the best of my best of my life and, you know, in some aspects the worst, leaving, I've really focused on balance and now I help other people find the balance that I never had whilst I was in that corporate career. So that's one of the things, sort of almost that pay it forward. I now have seen that and I've reflected and I can see where I could have shifted and now I've, you know, I help others to do that now. That's really interesting. Can we go into that? Because 
for me yeah, as a woman executive, it, finding the balance between putting a whole heap of energy into work and actually being there for my family has been a really difficult mm -hmm. thing. And I know as a woman executive and a male executive, you still need to find that balance because mm -hmm. there's still this area where men need to be present in their households and kids need them around, you know, your family needs you around. So mm -hmm. what is it really that you think will encourage us to make sure that we've got some balance in so our careers? COVID-19 COVID has been, a, I think, a real in the ass for a lot of people to be honest yeah. I've spoken to so many people that have said oh my gosh I'm actually going for a walk or oh my gosh I'm actually playing with my kids and and I'm still getting work done so it's been an amazing opportunity for those that have opened their eyes to it to realize that they actually can have that balance and honestly I just I just hope that when people start to transition back into their work lives like actually being in a corporate office or into an office that they don't forget those feelings that they had and they don't forget to take time out for themselves for their family and appreciate not only their, their own situation but their team like their teams are actually people so for me the last couple of months have been a lot about teams and leaders realizing that we're all people at the end of the day irrespective of the work or whatever everyone is a human and has have human experiences mm. so that for me is a big one, but I am working a lot with, if I talk about some of my clients, I am working a lot on how to, you know, how to acknowledge what you need. So what is it that when you feel good, what is that? How does it make you feel? When is it? But then starting to break it down into, uh, from the neuro, that I've got on my desk actually, the Neuro Leadership Institute. So Dr. Dan Siegel, there's a thing called the Healthy Mind Platter. And it is so good. So it breaks it down into... Now, I do this with my clients. I'll say, so how are you spending time focusing on work? When do you, when do you focus on playtime, connecting with other people, your physical time, looking in, spending time on just your inner self? And it's really interesting to hear that people will focus on work, 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 do some, a little bit of physical activity, but they're not doing all of these other areas to balance themselves out. So the work that I'm doing with a lot of people at the moment is based on this healthy mind platter from the Neuro, Neuro Leadership Institute. And it's just bringing the awareness. So I think COVID-19 has been a great part of that. But when people start to go back to, or not back to, but when they move forward with what the new normal is, it's, it, I'm hoping that they integrate some of these other areas into it. So whether that's a meditation, sitting out in sunshine, going for a walk, spending time spontaneously playing with their kids, whatever it might be. That's fabulous advice. Thank you, Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> and, but it's hard work. So it's all very well to say, yes, put yourself on this healthy mind platter and, and tell us how, how you spend your time. It takes effort. And I found myself, especially over the last three months, you know, I'm trying to practice what I've been talking about but sometimes you just have a bad day and you just want to stay under the doona and you don't want to get it out. But again, it's that, okay, showing up for yourself and knowing what to do to take care of yourself. And yeah, you can fall off the wagon, but you can also get, your, you can get yourself back on. So it's yeah, that awareness, acknowledgement. And so I, every day I go out and I just spend my first 10 minutes in the sun with my cup of tea. And that's a big shift to where I was three years ago where it was leave the house at 6.30, don't get home until 9, 10 o'clock at night. And now I'm taking time for me 
and it's amazing and I love myself like I I didn't realize how much I didn't enjoy myself and now I actually like who I am and who I am with the kids and who I am with my husband and work yeah I've, I've seen a big shift in myself wow and I suppose your family will see a big shift in you as well yeah there's it's actually it is quite funny so at first the adjustment period is quite hard when you're so used to not having everyone at home, then all of a sudden everyone is at home. So COVID-19, there have been people have experienced that. I experienced it when I left work, but, you know, the kids like, oh, God, she's at home. And I was, it was a difficult situation because Justin and the kids had built a life up at home for 18 years or up to 18 years. And all of a sudden here I am going, okay, I'm here now. This is how I want to run the show because I'm used to running things. So this is how I want to do it. And they all needed to say to me, slow down, we need to work on this together. So um, I actually spoke to my middle, yeah, I spoke to Christian um, the other day and I said, oh, I might need to spend some days away from home. How do you think that's going to impact the home? And, you know, do you, do you guys really care? So we have got open and honest, frank discussions. And I said, oh, actually, we actually like having you at home now. So at the early stages, it was, we didn't like having you at home, but now we do. <laughs> It's good to be honest, <laughs> and it's true. Like we all we all adjust differently, so so I hope that the new way forward for everyone is that they appreciate their lives and spending time together, not together, whatever that might be. So I did want to kind of go into people who've helped you, or people who haven't helped you, and the people who've stifled your career. So mm. I'd like to kind of go into you. You kind of mentioned the start of your career; it was all self-driven, which for a person like yourself, I can totally believe. Um, but as you kind of move into the upper echelons, you realise you know you do require some help. So yeah. I mean, this is really where I want to tackle: is as you're moving up, what helped, what didn't, what were the best times, and what was something that you know you sit there going, I just can't believe it happened like this, and yeah. how can we as a group, as a network, first of all, be aware of the issues as women move up in leadership positions and then how we can, as a group, address them. So, so there's a couple of things on that. So for me in my career or during my career at Suncorp, I was predominantly, in, I would say in the middle of my career, I was predominantly in male environments because I felt mm-hmm. really comfortable there. I oh. felt comfortable because, yeah, I know it's, it's, it's quite odd. I, I felt comfortable in those areas because my early years, I thought it was good to be around a lot of females. So being quite young, I thought having female-led leadership and female peers or, or senior members, I really wanted. But in my, in my early, and in actually in my early and my later stages, I actually found that abuse of power um, can actually happen, not just with males, but with females. I've made the assumption that this is the reason why um, that these females, they love the power. So there's that ego-driven loving power. So they didn't know how to lead because it was just all about tell, tell, tell. Don't care about what people think just or feel, just do. I think that there were some women that I, I reported to that were in the pissing competition. So they wanted to compete with other males. So it was important for them to show their dominance. And that sometimes meant not treating people correctly. Uh, and then I had peers that also didn't treat peers properly because, again, showing compassion and, and empathy was seen as a sign of weakness. Now, I saw that very early in my career and I also saw it very late in my career in different forms. 
But in the midst of it, I tended to gravitate more to male environments because the males that I was working with were, you know, they, they liked to have the female leadership of compassion or they liked to have collaborative environments. I tended to go towards areas that would support the way I like to lead. So I was quite fortunate during that time. Again, in those early stages, I, I didn't have mentors. I was fearful of, of women in the early stages because I thought I'll just get treated like crap and told that I'm no good. So I, I pulled away from that. But then I did come about halfway through, I did come across a team and my first female executive manager that actually was compassionate, but so strong. That's where I found out it's okay to, to lead with empathy. It's okay to demonstrate that feminine side, as well as being a leader that was decisive and could take action. So it was such a great, great environment. And it was okay to have a family as well as be part of a team. It was okay to have flexibility, you know, as long as we understood the boundaries and communicated and were transparent. So I had a few years where it was amazing. It was just amazing being surrounded by females and led by a female that could do that. I then understood the role of mentorship. So when I think of mentorship, you've got mentoring, coaching, sponsorship, and trusted advisors. So I think if I think about my team that I would have around me, I would look for a mentor with similar interests, someone that I would want to aspire to. And that's how I would look at, because I was paired with a person once that didn't have my best interests at heart. It was more about her being seen as a mentor, but she wasn't really mentoring. She was just telling me what to do, not having, not building that relationship and learning from each other. So one thing I would definitely say for people seeking mentors, it's okay to try and then move on. You don't need to have, if that person isn't your person, it's okay to move on. So that's probably a big thing. I'd certainly also look at sponsorship. So if you've got someone that has your back, so in terms of career progression or trying new things, Look for sponsorship of someone that is your advocate and has your back. Not someone that you meet with on a regular basis, like a coach or a mentor, but someone that knows how you work and will give you that tick of approval when you're going for a role. So those recommendations. And I also, I didn't know this until late in my career, but having a tribe or having my trusted advisors, so people that I could go to irrespective of, you know, level in an organisation or internal or external to an organisation, but those people that you could go to when you needed particular advice. Yeah. So I definitely think about who your, your tribe or your trusted advisor group is as well. Trusted advisors, that's a great option because they're the kind of people that you've developed a friendship with. So they don't have an ulterior motive except that they like you and that's it. They have your best interests at heart. So it sounds to me like your early career had a group of trusted advisors as well as a deep-seated need to just achieve the best that you possibly could. Yeah, exactly. I did want to kind of go into the last step then, how you made that decision to leave and to then start this new career and how that's affected you now. So it was actually a couple of things running in parallel over six months. So the first thing was I was leading a digital transformation. So that's when I was an executive manager leading a thousand people. And my, as I've mentioned, my style of leadership is through compassion and kindness. That's how I like to lead. And when I was running this transformation, I wasn't able to do that because I was thrust into everything else and people leadership got put on hold. So it's, it's a time where I 
was working with people in different countries. I was dealing with different strategies, how to ramp up from 300 to 1,000 people in four months and looking at real estate. So it was everything else except the people side. And at the time, I didn't know how much I was missing it because you're just in doing the work. So that was the first, sort of the first level. Then the, the next level was I was also working on STEM programs. So I was looking at how to actually bring more females through the workforce or into, into technology. So I was developing STEM programs. And through that, I started to research and understand just where some of the challenges were. So the challenges such as not having the right role models or not having the right opportunities or the, the right opportunities. Support network so, maybe around you? Yeah, the not support network. So there was, there was multiple areas. And looking at also the de- decline of women going through technology so you may have a lot of people going through but then they weren't staying and that was either because of the environment or because they went on extended leave maybe for mat leave and then didn't feel confident enough to come back because they were worried about what they were coming back into so I was doing this research over about six months then I realized that my two girls so my 13 and 18 year old they needed a role model because looking at this work I was doing in STEM I've got the aspiring project manager who's the 18-year-old and the aspiring techie who's the 13-year-old and I don't think I was, I was giving them the opportunities to have the right role model. And then I thought, hang on a sec, I should be their role model and it took me a long time to... Mm, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know, I just didn't realise that I was the role model that, that they should have and they saw me towards the end of my career at Suncorp, I really wasn't enjoying it. And I thought, hang on a second, I'm not giving them the best I'm not demonstrating what I should be you know what things that I love and what I love doing and then the last part was I ended up having a hysterectomy and having uh, I think it was about three or four months off due to complications and through that time that's when I started pulling all of the pieces of the puzzle together and realizing what am, what am I doing I'm not enjoying myself I'm not being a good role model to my girls I'm spending more time at work than I am at home Mm-hmm. I need to shift this. I'm not, and I'm not leading people. I'm not spending time lifting capability and helping people. And that's where I looked at, well, coaching, I've heard a lot about it. And I thought, all right, I'm just going to do it. So I resigned. I didn't transition. Some people try and do both where they have their corporate career and then a side hustle. I decided with, you know, help with my husband and the kids, just going to cut the cord and kick it off. So that was good. I went through a major identity crisis because I'd had the backing and support of a corporate gig for a long time. And I didn't realize that I was going through a bit of grieving through that. So grieving of that loss of identity. And so that was November that I left. And then early last year, I thought, things aren't happening quick enough in the corporate space. I've always got things to do. I'm busy, 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 busy. But when you're your own startup, things aren't as quick and things go quite slowly. So I thought, Right, my three-year plan was to have an event. Oh, I'm my own boss. I'm going to bring that forward. I'm going to make that happen this year. So in April last year, I decided to throw an event for November. So I gave myself six months and I said, all right, so what am I here for? I want women to collaborate. I want to have people talk about their experiences because it's that human element that's missing. When I go to an event, it's the human interaction. It's the after space. I, I want people to talk about the highs, but I want them to talk about the lows. I want them to share their experiences because just one person might resonate with that person. 
So I started to, I put a call out and within 24, 48 hours, I think I had 50 people say they wanted to be part of my event. And I went, wow, that's, that's cool. Then it was, okay, I need to make sure that these people understand it's not a sales pitch. So I go to lots of events where they talk for 10 minutes on, you know, some really cool things and the next half an hour is on selling their company. I need to be really clear that this event was not about sales. It was about helping other people. And so I was able to get the right mix of people. So I had people of different ethnicities. I had um, different representation from the LGBTQI community. I had male speakers come in. I had mums. I had people that had gone from corporate to startup. I wanted a mixture. I wanted it to be a mixture of people so that the audience had different experiences shared with them. And so I also had people that were experienced. I had Naomi Simpson from Red Balloon, plus experienced people that had talked at different events. But then I also had people that had never spoken and I wanted them to have the opportunity to raise their voice and let themselves be heard. And then we were laughing, we were crying. It was just, it was, it was amazing. So, I, was, I was proud of myself and I was proud of all these people that, that came as well. So tell me, out of that, you must have gotten some really great gems. Can you share a few of those gems with us as we close? Like I'd really like to see how you think that we can move to getting a little bit more of a, the gender equity balance in our leadership. What do you think is some of the takeaways so definitely for me, women supporting women for the sake of supporting, not for the sake of putting someone else down because they're not doing their job, but that true supporting. So it, it's taking that leadership of, I want to be a mentor to someone else or I can be a role model for someone else and, and help lift them. So that's, for me, that's what's missing right now. For me, it's missing around women that actually want to lift other women but not in the sense of let's all have a, a big woman in tech event it's actually fine saying to someone this is what i can do how can i help you let me coach you or let me mentor you so that's a really big one and talking to males and females or collaborating together so that's the one big thing another big thing i took out of it was you know i had a friend that was a mentor in the, my early years and i said i really would love to you know, you're a mentor to me. I'd love to hear what you think and get you up on stage and show what it's like to be a dad or what it's like to be a male in this industry. And it was amazing. So he got up and he said, I've got a, a wife and a daughter and they both tell me that I just don't get it. So he, women, please, I ask you to tell me what I need to do. I've got a huge LinkedIn following and I'm happy to share it with the world, but I, I can't, if I say something, I say it wrong. If I do something, I do it wrong. I need you to actually give me feedback. So that still get goosebumps with it because it really resonated with the, with the women that were there because no one had asked them, what do you need? And it was that individual. It wasn't a generic, this is what we need. It was that tell me personally what you need. So I think having those open conversations is really important and having the conversation with everyone. Knowing your own values. I've been doing a lot of work with people around this knowing what's important to you at your core. So if you don't understand what you value, you will continually get stuck in roles that you don't like or don't understand or don't fit you and you will, not, you will never feel that balance. So understanding your values. So for me, compassion, collaboration, connectedness, kindness, growth, acceptance, these are my values. And so now being 
outside the corporate role and talking to so many people, I get to live my values every day. Whereas some people just, they're in their jobs and they just go with the flow because that's what's expected. I implore people to take time out and get to know themselves because once they know who they are and what they want, they will know very quickly if that's the right role for them or if they need to actually look for something else. Such a great thing. To, I'm going to end it there because that is the thing to end on. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Watch out next week for another podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much, Catherine. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Thank All you. Right.